the methodologies and techniques of emotionally focused therapy on this edition of Truth and Love. Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. And once again, it's Mental Health Month, the month of May, and we engage this idea of the Mental Health Month by talking about different aspects of mental health. This time, what we're trying to do is engage particular therapies that are employed in, in that whole world of how to be mentally healthy. And yes, of course, we're doing this as a critique. I would say that that whole paradigm is certainly contrary to, to Scripture, and we're trying to understand today emotionally focused therapy. If you remember last week, we did a biblical assessment of these ideas, so I would encourage you, if you did not, go back and listen to that uh, critique of emotionally focused therapy, understanding some of its philosophical foundations and and such. And so this week, I want us to consider some of those techniques, and I want to see how some of those techniques or those methodologies sort of bleed into some of our Christian literature. And I've asked Marshall Atkins, one of my PhD students here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, to join me once again. A little bit about Marshall. He was certified back in April of 2020. He is pastor of adult discipleship in Bardstown, Kentucky at Parkway Baptist Church. Been there for several years. He's married to his wife, Rachel, and they have three young kids. Marshall, I'm so grateful for your work here. It's been really fun to engage you, even last week, the things that we talked about. And as we look forward to to this week and discussing some of the methodologies and the techniques, it's important for us to be able to recognize these things. So I want us to, to talk about it. And I, I want to make clear up front, this, this is not a promotion of EFT. We're, we're trying to assess it I think we need to be wise about these things. We need to understand those secular philosophies. And I think that's important for us to do that if we're to engage them well and engage them biblically. And, and that's proper for us to do that. So let me start off with this question, Marshall, if we can. What exactly do we mean by counseling methodologies and techniques? And, and use EFT as, as sort of exemplary on this. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Johnson. It's uh, good to be back on the podcast with you again. So a yeah, great question. When we talk about methodologies and techniques, what we're really getting at is what we do in counseling and how we do it. So we're getting, getting to once we're in front of a counselee, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? And for example, when, when we're thinking about emotionally focused therapy, there are specific techniques that an EFT therapist will employ, you know, such as you know, they're, they're going to want to develop a therapeutic alliance. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't imagine we'll unpack all these, but just to throw some out there, for example, they're going to emphasize empathic listening mm-hmm. and using sort of reflective statement, restatement techniques, mm-hmm. um, offering validation of a client's emotional experience and, and, and so forth. We could go on. Mm-hmm. But the point is that every therapeutic framework like EFT has an attending set of techniques or methods that are built upon the philosophical foundation, which is what we talked a little bit about last week. The techniques, the methods that are built upon that philosophical foundation that are then employed in the moment of therapy. And so, you know, I think about, for example, David Pallison talked about counseling methodology. and, And he wrote that counseling methodology is a It's a system of theoretical commitments, principles, goals, and appropriate methods. He went on to write that 
It's a set of interconnected things, not a collection or random or eclectic bits of observation or technique. He, uh, he, he writes, a counseling methodology is an organized, committed way of understanding and tackling people's problems. I think that's helpful, what, what David Pallison wrote there. And so what we can say is that methodologies, techniques, whatever we want to call them, these things that we practice in counseling, they represent what we will do and how we will do it when we meet with a counselee. And they are based upon our core understanding of people, their problems, what the best solutions are, and the anticipated goals that we want to see come about. I think the statement that you're making here and the connection that you're making is super profound. And this is something that's consistent with the history of the biblical counseling movement. I mean, my goodness, certainly Jay Adams said those things. And, and the quote that you just gave by Dr. David Pallison is, is an immense testimony. We can't see these these methodologies, these techniques, if you will, as sort of uh, up to our leisure and we can just choose a la carte these things. This is what I describe when I talk about eclecticism, the danger that we have saying, oh, okay, yes, I understand the philosophy behind all that. It's, yeah, it's evolutionary based and we get, we get all that part. The problem is, is then we start taking some of the methodologies and techniques as if it's disconnected. And, and man, Dr. Powelson said this super clearly. These things are are part of a system, and, and it's not you can't just extrapolate that particular methodology because it, it has a it has a context, right? And so you can't extrapolate that to just come up and say, "Oh, we can redeem this and, and make this right and make this ours." Then we have to be careful about that because we have a system too, and and the system that we employ, the methodologies we employ, have to be consistent with the aim of the system of Christianity itself. All those things that we we do in in counseling has a connection to the system of Christianity, and we can't deny a doctrine or an aim or a goal of humanity, you know, by, by the things that we choose to employ. So we have to be cautious and careful. I think that was, you know, really well articulated there. Now, that comes the next question. We I, I mentioned this just a second ago about we sort of have this posture, if you will, of, you know, we don't want to be seen as people who are neglecting what's coming out of, you know, good research or good study or or whatever. Surely there are ways that we can redeem a counseling method or a counseling technique from a system like EFT. I mean, they're well-meaning, right? So we can use these things in biblical counseling. And let me just say that in the history of the biblical counseling movement, this has been one of the key things that have caused splintering in the past from very early days with Dr. J. Adams and John Bettler, this was a point of contention. So as we talk about this, Marshall, we're very aware that, that you know people disagree on this particular part, and that's okay that we disagree. But I think it's important that we at least consider how we, how we go about thinking we can extrapolate techniques and, and methods. So, so that's the question. Can we redeem a counseling method from a system like EFT to utilize in biblical counseling? So I, th- I think the answer to that question, the short answer is no. And to expand on that, to, to flesh that out a bit, when you see how methodology and technique is inescapably connected to the underlying presuppositions of a theory, it makes perfect sense why we can't transfer those. An attempt to do that would be to just mutilate the technique because you're taking it out of its environment. But let me expand on that a little bit. You, you know, you mentioned Dr. J. Adams and, and like Pallison, and I think they were in agreement, it seems to me that they were in agreement on this. You know, he talked, Dr. Adams talked about how all counseling systems are, are built on presuppositions. And it's those presuppositions from which methods and techniques are derived. And one of the places that, that 
I found Dr. Adams very helpful is he wrote a chapter on this very topic in, in one of his books. And uh, I, I think it's helpful because he gives us a framework with which to maybe think about this. He asks the question, can we use different methods from other counseling systems? And he distinguishes between a means and a method. And some of our listeners may be very familiar with this, but just want to reiterate here because I think it's a very helpful way to think about these things. A means, according to what Dr. Adams articulated, is an activity such as listening or asking questions or taking notes and on and on we could go. And, and basically what it means is it's a tool that can be used in a variety of ways for different purposes, whether you're listening, asking questions, taking notes, so forth. A method, however, is a goal-oriented activity. It's a goal-oriented activity. In other words, it's, it's also an activity, but it's an activity that is specifically designed from certain presuppositions, and it's aimed at achieving particular outcomes. And so it is very different in that way than a means because a method is pregnant with philosophical assumptions and desired goals. So for example, in EFT, emotionally focused therapy, there's a technique called validation. And it's basically a method of affirming the emotional experience of the individual and affirming how the emotional experience is, is good and adaptive and drawing out its utility and trying to connect it to what it's allegedly saying about the underlying emotional needs of the person or the, the fracture in the emotional bond of the couple. Well, if you think about that, you could take the method of validation and try to redeem it and draw some sort of comparison to a word of encouragement. And we might say that, well, offering a word of encouragement appears analogous to validation. But actually, it's not the same at all because validation is a particular activity within the system of EFT that is built on specific assumptions and reaching for very specific goals. So when you see it with this clarity, in my estimation, a biblical counselor cannot redeem EFT validation because to do so, we can't bring the underlying philosophical assumptions. We know better than that. We're not aiming at the same goals. So whatever we're trying to do, we're not doing the same thing that EFT is trying to do. And so in that way, I would say that the methodological well of other systems, it's poisoned in so much that we just simply can't draw usable water from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's critically stated. And it's a critical point, right, as, as we consider these things that, you know, take validation as you brought up. We're not going to deny a person's experience. What they experienced was what they experienced. How they feel is how they feel. But to validate then certain passions and desires in our system, right, the way we understand a person and how these emotions come or how we experience and see life, for example, to validate those passions and desires that led to these things well, that becomes you're, you're participating in their wickedness. You're, you're encouraging what's poisoning the well in their heart, and, and that becomes a problem. Yet can we empathize or sympathize with where they're at, the consequences that they're facing, the circumstances that they're under? Of course, and we absolutely should. But should we distinguish then in what Dr. Adams would, would call a sympathetic disagreement, where we would disagree with 
some of the parts underlying. We're not going to validate those things. So that, that's one critical way here. And, and Marshall, the reason we bring this up is because you may say, well, why are we even having this discussion? Because like, you know, does this really happen? Do people really do this? I mean, yes, this happens everywhere, all over the place. Give a couple of examples of not overt EFT, but some of the ideas that that we've seen, you know, people in more popular level books. And I'll mention a couple that I think this happens in. And I don't think these are bad actors or bad players. I don't I don't dislike these people at all. <clears throat> but the way in which they write and the, the the goals that they're trying to accomplish really sound more like some of the assumptions of what what philosophically is building EFT, you know, books like The Five Love Languages or His Needs, Her Needs or Love and Respect, for example. Talk just for a second about how we see these types of philosophical assumptions really uh, arrive or flourish in in some of these popular Christian books. Yeah, that's good. I, I think that I think it comes down to where an author's starting point is. So, for example, you know, I think it's very helpful what you just said about we're not denying that someone's had a particular experience, and, and we want to embody the compassion of Christ to hurting people. And if we start with the scriptures as our starting point and we work out from there, then we're not going to lack methodology or techniques to meet people in their suffering or meet people in their sin with the grace, compassion, and the resources of scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if we start with a theory a philosophical assumption that is not derived from scripture, then we're going to then have methods and techniques that are just a bit sideways that aren't exactly aimed at what the Bible is aiming at. So you mentioned a couple of books, you know, when you think about the love languages or his needs, her needs, love and respect. And again, we're not trying to make any sort of sweeping statement about the authors, right? But what my concerns are with that sort of thing is that we see in popular level literature books that are starting at the wrong place. And they're taking these ideas such as from attachment theory or emotionally focused therapy, and they're, they're trying to mine from them what they think is insightful or credible or empirical proven, you know, all those in quotation marks, the, uh, and they're, they're trying to then incorporate that into a biblical way of understanding human relationships and how to solve marital problems. And the problem with that is that then you end up getting, as we often say in biblical counseling, you get man wrong, man's problem wrong, and man's solution wrong. Mm-hmm. And you're aiming at the sort of change that the Bible doesn't aim at. Yeah. And you're trying to help people with their marriage troubles in a way that may bring relief from temporal difficult circumstances, but actually won't bring about the sort of help and hope that can only be provided through the word applied in the power of the spirit. Yeah. And, and having the goals that Christ clearly established, even as you're talking, Marshall, I'm thinking about Jesus's encounters with people, right? Where he'll often ask, what do you want me to do for you? Right. He's asking a methodological question. It's not that the means is unimportant. He's saying, what do you want me to do for you? But then he always leads them in a means that's consistent with who he is and the plan of redemption, right? Your faith has made you well. He's the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He's going to do methodologically what's necessary and always through a means that's consistent with who he is 
and God's plan of redeeming and repairing people. I think of the discussion that he had with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was looking to, you know, how do we, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus gets to the point where not just any methodology would do. He's telling him the truth at the base level. There is a means by which this happens. And the Bible says he walked away saddened and Jesus didn't chase after him. I think that's one of the most profound parts or interactions that Jesus had with someone that, that's really difficult to swallow sometimes. And Jesus was just faithful, faithful, consistent to the message of God. And we have to be compassionate in that. Jesus certainly was. And, and I think this is an important distinction here. Now, that, that always leads us to this question because then people will say, okay, well, if you're denying this, then certainly you must deny the common grace of God, right? Or are you deny the the general revelation that God has given, or is that what you're denying, right? That's sort of how the discussion goes. So how do we respond to arguments that, quote-unquote, effective methods and effective techniques are a part of God's common grace and that we should redeem those? Yeah, that, that argument is certainly being made. And on the one hand, that sort of argument is based, again, in a pragmatism that misses the goals of biblical change. So when you think about what is an effective method, and even talking about some of the books and the authors that you know we had just mentioned, it's not that we're trying to pick on those guys, but I would suggest that their understanding and definition of effective is different than mine. And I would offer that theirs aligns with presuppositions that are not biblical, because if the goal is biblical change, then where else other than the Bible can we define what that change looks like? And so on the one hand, I would say that that argument is built upon a pragmatism that misunderstands what we even could define as effective. On the other hand, I I think it misunderstands the nature of common grace. And I'm thankful that at least we've, I think for the most part, moved on from using general revelation in a category that is that was just a, a miscategorization of, of what general revelation is. But I don't think we're doing any better by moving to the category of common grace. Uh, so, you know, of course, common grace is, is, is a, a wonderful thing. It's God's merciful benevolence toward all people. It's seen abundantly in the delay of his wrath and his undeserved kindness toward those who are far from him. So it's a, it's a wonderful, you know, common grace gift from God, but shifting the category from general revelation to common grace in order to establish a line of reasoning to adopt methodologies that are inconsistent with the presuppositions of the Bible in order to achieve so-called effective ends, I think is deeply misguided. And, and so I think if, if you see on the one hand that the goal of change is biblically defined as sanctification. How in the world can the methodologies of a system like EFT produce that apart from the Spirit of God, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then if those techniques are necessary and even helpful toward the end of sanctification, then what does that say if God has not provided those until the 1980s through Susan Johnson? Uh-huh. So it seems that you know the sort of help that God offers to, to people that are in marriage troubles clearly comes from his word, from his spirit, through the gospel of his son. Well said, brother. And, and listen, I'm, I'm really excited about the work that you're doing as a PhD student, but more so as a minister of the gospel, the things that you're doing there 
in Bardstown, discipling and, and committed to your people there and uh, and helping them to think. You're, you're being a shepherd to guard against these philosophical ideas. I, I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your deep work here. You've, you've done some good work and you're going to continue to do some good work and uh, look forward to what, what's produced. So thanks, brother. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Now, I hope you've enjoyed the the last five weeks that we've walked through some issues in mental health. And this is, again, Mental Health Awareness Month. And this has been something we've been doing for the last four years. Since 2019, we've worked through the month of May on different topics relative to mental illness, mental health. And I think these are important topics for us. This is where the biblical counseling world rubs up against the, the, the secular world in, in how we think. And this is where a lot of demarcation happens. And we need to be aware of the history. We need to be aware of how the secular world is trying to define some of these problems. Listen, I, I want to encourage you to, to go back into the years that we've done previously. We've worked through a history of different things relative to mental health that I think will be encouraging to you. It'll be certainly informative to you. It gives a backdrop for understanding the whole idea of mental health, where it came from, why it is that even nationally we celebrate a month just like this. So we are compiling all of those resources together into a blog that we are dropping today for all of you. We will put that link in the show notes for you, and it will be present on our blog as well. So go back, take a listen to those older podcasts if you needed to catch up, or maybe you need to be reminded of some of those things. I think you'll find the context really helpful and the history that we walk through really helpful as well. So go visit us at biblicalcounseling.com.